0: Colossians chapter 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We, As we've gone through this book, Paul has been arguing back and forth because of these false teachers. And finally, we are to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is, is where my favorite parts of Colossians really begin. Because he, he has sufficiently warned them at this point And now he's saying, so, if you're not going to buy what they're selling, and if what they're selling isn't right and isn't where your focus needs to be, then where does your focus need to be? What does your life need to look like? You know, that's, that's actually one of my favorite things, I've said this before, about Scripture and about if you go through, through the Gospels and you look at what Jesus teaches, there is a constant, uh, consist, a constant consistency. Does that make sense? A constant consistency that Scripture will never tell you to get rid of without telling you what to take on. And there's good reason for that. Jesus warns that if you kick all the demons out of your life and you don't fill that back up, with things of the Spirit and things of God, then what happens? Your demon comes back and this time he brings friends and they're stronger, nastier, and meaner than they were before you kicked them out. And I think we've probably all experienced a little bit of that. Now, I'm not saying some of you have been demon-possessed, and I'm not going to point fingers, though we all know. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But uh, we have all had the experience of getting rid of habits, whether they were morally problematic or just... Practically problematic, doesn't matter, the principle holds true, where we tried to get rid of a habit or we tried to do better, and then what happens when we lapse? They come back with friends, stronger and meaner. And you know who does that the most? Blue Bell Cartel. The Blue Bell Cartel does that. That's, you know, you try to get rid of ice cream. What happens? Six months later it comes back with friends, meaner and, and, and everything else, right? You know how I know that? Because it's almost July 4th. You know what comes out July 4th or before July 4th because it's in your, in your local grocery store's freezer section today where you can pick it up and they paid me nothing. But that bluebell, red, white, and blueberry—have you had that thing? They bring it out somewhere around Independence Day season every time, and, and this year they brought it out for Memorial Day, and 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 that demon doesn't come back with friends. That's all I'm saying. And it was good last night, but that doesn't make you know. Aren't you glad it's just some of our problems are just bluebell? Those are the good problems, but spiritually. Spiritually, Satan is always trying to get us with things that look a lot like they would be as good as Bluebell, but are not, right? And in the first two chapters, he's warning about these false teachers that are constantly trying to bring things in that look like they would be like Bluebell, but they're not. Maybe we'll use Bluebell. Maybe we'll change metaphors here and we'll start using Bluebell as the good thing. (laughs) And somebody try to sneak some Blue Bunny into your freezer. Listen, just because it's a blue mammal, don't mean it's Bluebell. That's all I'm saying. No, I like that. My problem is I like that one too. See, it came back with friends. meaner and nastier. But, But we have to be able to know how to fill our life with what's right and what's good. To focus on things that are right and good in order to keep Satan at bay. And make no mistake about it. All of that is real. When we talk about Satan and when we talk about the influence of Satan and his minions and demons, they're not the cute little, you know, one-eyed yellow things from the movie they are nasty spiritual beings that are out to do evil to you and through you. And that is real. And we kind of try to kick to, to back and be a little bit too sophisticated and modern to talk about things like that as though, well, it's not really real. And it's, it's, it's really just we have our weaknesses and things like that. And that is not true. That's part of the lie the devil sells. If he convinces you he's not around, you don't put defenses up to protect yourself against him, do you? And for the men coming on Wednesday night, we've been going through a great series on that. And if you weren't there in our class, but you want to know what in the world I'm talking about, about how serious spiritual warfare is, tell me, email me, and I'll send you the links to what we've been watching because you can watch it online. Really good stuff and important stuff. But one of the things that that Paul is trying to shore the church in Colossae up and help them understand is, man, your life is a target. And it's a target for false teachers. And, and they'll come in all stripes and sizes. And you need to be really well-versed in how you live your life for Jesus. How you live your life in the truth. So that when those things happen, you know the difference. And you know what you're living for. And you don't get knocked off track. And so in chapter 3, he starts saying, say, okay, this is what that's going to look like. This is what a life focused on Jesus is going to be. So that's what we're looking at this morning. So let's look at this again. Colossians 3, 1. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now, we know one thing for sure. When Paul repeats himself that quick, Paul repeats himself a lot. But when he repeats himself that quickly, set your, uh, first he says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, then set your minds on things above uh not on earthly things he's really trying to get our attention and saying this is extremely important and i want to make sure that you get this so i'm going to say it twice the same way see i didn't get that just on my own it's biblical that i do that all the time so paul did it too let's look at the first part here number 1 we get a kingdom of god perspective that i keep putting my glasses on when i'm not reading i'm here let's put these down here if i can't read it i just won't see it Those things drive me nuts. Uh, And why? Because they take my focus off of what I'm trying to see, which is ironic. That's not the job of glasses, is it? Perspective. Perspective is not the same thing as focus. We'll get to focus. Perspective is what angle are you looking at it from. When we look at the things that we're trying to decide or the life we want to live or the things that are going to be our priorities, we are always looking at them, whether we're conscious of it or not, through a particular perspective. Some people call that uh, worldview. What are the things that are important to me and how do I see the world and how do I see it through faith? Uh, but perspective is, you know, just the angle from which we're viewing something. And I like to look at things personally. Not everybody does this. uh, But I like to look at things from all sorts of angles. I want to see it from all the way around up and below so that I can know what it is that I'm dealing with. That might look like overanalyzation to people who don't look at anything but from one perspective. But the truth is, sometimes you learn simply by changing the angle at which you're looking at something, don't you? Any mechanic will tell you that. You can't fix everything from up there under the hood, can you? Sometimes you've got to get down under the car. Sometimes you've got to get in places that apparently the factory never considered you would ever be looking at something from, and that's the only place you're going to be able to fix it. I had this Ford Windstar that had an inner tie rod problem. And it shouldn't be that big a deal. But they had clearly made this van for the assembly line and not for the garage. And so everything in it, you could see... There was a little bit of genius in the simplicity of how it all was put together, stacked together and, and bolted together and welded together and everything at the factory. You could see it from underneath the van. But when you needed to fix it, you could also see that, you know, that worked at the factory, but that doesn't work in the shop. And you, you get that perspective only when you finally figure out, oh, wow, that's what they should have done. They should have gotten under it before they shifted it and said, oh, wait a minute, we're putting this together in a way that you ended up having to have a special tool and you had about three inches of workspace with all of this, and it was ridiculous. You should never have to buy a $150 tool to fix one thing on one model of one brand. That's ridiculous, right? Those of you who work on cars should be saying amen at that one because you've been there, done that, right? The The rest of you, I don't know. So... I'm sitting here thinking perspective was the problem. They never stopped and thought, what's it going to be like when this part breaks and this part does, in normal use, wear out? Why didn't they think this through? Well, God did. God did. God has looked at your life from every possible angle. He knows what is best. He knows what is right. He knows what is holy. He knows what is righteous. He knows what will kill you spiritually. He knows what will weaken you. He knows what will hurt you and fill you with sorrow. And He knows what will restore you and fill you with joy. But from our angle, we don't always see those things, do we? Sometimes we even see them wrongly. We look at what what will hurt us, what will harm us, what could even spiritually separate us from God Himself. And we look at it and say, man, that's just what I want. That's just what I need. That worked with Eve in the garden, right? And through just a simple, simple, simple lie. The thing of, well, you know, you really want to be like God, don't you? Well, think about it from Eve's perspective. From Eve's perspective, who better to be like than God? Who would you want to look up to as your hero more than the God that she walked with every evening as it got cooler? Everything about God that she had seen was holy, loving, and pure. Pure. And so when Satan said, listen, if you'll do this, there's really nothing to worry about. You're just going to become like your hero. That's probably how it fell on her ears. We, we kind of assumed she was up to something. But the truth is, she probably was hearing, you'll be like the one that you love the most. The one that put you in Adam and gave you all this blessing. Wouldn't you like to be like him? Wouldn't you like to be as loving and kind and blessing of, of others as he is? And all you need to do is this. But the perspective was wrong, wasn't it? He took scriptures even, so to speak, spoken words of God and said, I know God said this, but if you will just look at it like this, this is what will really happen. You'll become like God. Devil's going to try and shape your perspective. He's going to try and influence how you look at things, how you hear things because he knows the, the ramifications of ideas and the ramifications of perspective. And what Paul tells the church is, you've got to have a God perspective. You need to submit your mind and your heart and your thoughts to what God is looking at and how God sees it so that when you're faced with decisions and when you're faced with challenges and when you're faced with, well, what would be the best thing to do here? You make good choices perspective and, and everything really does shape what we do. Let me illustrate this with an example. I'm going to get out of the way. So y'all, y'all got to see this. I, I'm a bit of a car buff, and and you wouldn't think that if you're a car buff that you like crash test videos. But crash test videos are actually kind of cool. I don't know why. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting to me. See what, maybe because some things hold up that shouldn't hold up. Go watch a smart car Crash video. You can crash a smart car into a Mercedes-Benz S-Class, and guess which one gets smushed more? It's the S-Class. It's a little crazy. Now you're going to bounce around like a clown nose, but, but it doesn't crush. Watch this one. Oh, oh, I should tell you this first. This is, how's that for suspense? This is a Volkswagen van built in China. It's called a Doka. It's not not a van. This is kind of their crew cab pickup. Uh, based on a van. And they were crashing into a wall, just like we crash our things into a wall. Uh, this was made to be cheap. It was made to be uh, uh, handy for just, you know, plumbers and electricians running around China getting their their tools around and everything else, right? That's the, that's the priority. Cheap and haul stuff. That's the priority. And this is how it crashes. Oh, Wait. Oh, did I do that? I did that. Oh, let me go back. I accidentally my thumb twitched. Let's try it again. No, nope, let's try it again. I just didn't go back far enough. There. Here we go. Watch this. That feel good, wouldn't it? So you can see priorities, right? Mainly, we can see what was not the priority. Safety. There's no. Well, I don't know. You, you notice the cargo bed's pretty safe. <laughs> his his saw's still going to work. But man alive. And, and it, it, it just, you know, you've got to see this again. It's just terrible. Look at that. And there's just there's just nothing up there left. And that's why. You wear a seatbelt. No. <laughs> Mercy. That's, you might as well go to put some mayonnaise on you before you get in that thing because you're going to be a sandwich. All right. This is a, when something is done from a different perspective. Is that a difference? Watch this. The glass doesn't even break. I'm sorry, Ralph. That's a Ford. But it's a huge difference, isn't it? Well... I watched the Chevy video, and I'm going to be talking to a Ford dealer this week. So, the <laughs> it wasn't as good, and it made me uncomfortable. So I used a Ford instead. The, the, but the, but it wasn't, it wasn't like the Chinese Volkswagen. I'll tell you that. The, uh, the difference in those two things is not even. And I know our, our American pride, especially on a weekend like this, when say, it's American. Well. Not really. That's not really the difference because being American or, or not American is not what determines whether or not something is, is strong or weak. It's priorities, isn't it? It's perspective. Perspective on everything from the value of life to the value of building a customer base to what are you willing to do, what are you willing to spend and which sacrifices are you willing to make to make this particular product a certain Way Right. It's all about the perspective and and what's important and where your focus is. And when their focus was on, let's just build them cheap and fast, some really important things got missed. Right. And when because if you look at old Ford crash videos, they're better, but they ain't much better. Right. That's a that's just a focus of the last 20, 30 years. We really have gotten much, much better on safety because our focus changed because it stopped being just a utility vehicle and became something that was about families. When you put your kid in the back seat, it made a huge difference on the focus on safety in crash tests. Well, what about your life? What about your soul? What about your spirit? When the focus is on what, for example, some of the false teachers that were at Colossae were teaching, if your focus is simply on What makes me happy today? That life is going to be very different. And unfortunately, that life is also going to get off the rails a lot of times because that's kind of a focus of what's the cheapest, fastest way I can get thrills today? How can I simply be happy today? Maybe I can just get get some adrenaline flowing today. Well, that's going to make some short-term decisions that end up looking a lot more like that Volkswagen than like that Ford when things go wrong. When your focus is where Paul puts it, It's totally different, isn't it? Look at our families. I mentioned family being one reason things have gotten safer. If family is the number one, I'm talking above everything else, higher than God and Jesus, you're going to make decisions a certain way. And we're going to hear that and we're going to say, well, yeah, family number one, always, period. We're going to say, surely that's the right focus. But here's the problem from a God perspective with that focus. If I am always putting my family first, I may start to make decisions where I choose something that makes my family happy for the next hour or two but does not provide for their eternal security in life and eternity. I may do what they want to do now but not teach them the things that they need to know when they're adults. I may let them, you know, play video games in church, not picking on anybody, but I may let that be their focus. And then wonder later, when they're 18 and 19, why they don't seem to know anything about the Lord or Jesus. See, short term decisions that put somebody else's desires ahead of God sounds good in the moment, but it doesn't always lead you to the right place. And that's one of the ways that He gets us, isn't it? And the f- irony of all that is, when you put God First, do you know what God's going to have you do? He's going to have you love your family. He's going to have you love your family honestly to a higher standard than you would if you put family first. Devil's a tricky one, isn't he? You will love your spouse more and better with God first than your spouse first because God's going to teach you a better way to love her. He's going to teach you a better way to love him. Because that's part of what God's priority and perspective is. He's going to shape your love for your family better than if you try to do it on your own. It's incredible, and it's a gift, and it's a blessing. But it's one we miss if we don't choose the right perspective to look at our life from and and don't choose God's. The second is this, and it's related to that. It's all tied together. And that's, he says, focus on God's agenda. He says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated with God, at the right hand of God. He said, and he, he doesn't just say, set your hearts. Then he goes on again and set, repeats it and says, set your minds. Do you think that's an accident? Do you think that's just him just being poetic? I don't think so. I think he's actually saying your heart and your mind, both. What you know and what you feel. What you logically know your life needs to be about and focused on. And what, what you feel like focusing on it all needs to be jesus for the reasons i've just shared with you because god will make your life better when that's the case he is going to shape your understanding of what's going on and shape your your desires for what's going on so that you start to seek different things when when your eyes are fixed on your savior you start to have different principles You go to Walmart. Okay, we use this example a lot. I use this example a lot because we all have to go there and we have to go there often, right? Maybe you only go to get stuff. That's understandable. Maybe you only get stuff and get out. Some have have the desire to go and get stuff. They stay there a long time. Then there are those of us who had the desire to get something and get out. And the get out is in bold, Right? They get out. In fact, sometimes I drive through the parking lot, I look around and I get out. I don't even get out of the car. Usually it's Sunday after church. I keep thinking, surely there won't be that many people there. And I drive through the parking lot, I look around at the chaos and say, I don't think I need it that much. And I leave without ever even stopping the car or finding a spot. I'm just done. I can already, I can already feel, you know. Right? That's when I'm looking at it from my perspective. Okay? Honestly, that's when I'm looking at it. From my perspective, a godly perspective and a godly focus, I think we'll look at it a little bit differently. Every interaction we have with people ought to be, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not, I'm not where I'm telling you we're supposed to be yet. Okay? Better than I used to be, not nearly as good as I ought to be. I imagine that's where most of us are. But, but it should be that we look at every possible interaction with a person From the focus of Jesus, which is how can I help this person who doesn't yet know Jesus come to know Jesus? What can I do? And it may not mean you go to Walmart doing like evangelism, passing out tracts and all. You know, I'm not talking about that kind of thing. It may be that you simply sow seed. I know there are some uh, here that take those opportunities. You talk to the cashier. You talk to somebody who's helping you. one of the elders was talking about this several weeks ago. That there's somebody at Walmart that they started a conversation while checking out one night, and it led to this person talking about openly. Here's some things I'm struggling with, and this this brother saying, "Listen, I'm going to pray for you." And goes to Walmart, gets in that person's line, so that he can follow up on praying for this person at Walmart. That's the, that's that's a, that's looking at God's agenda, isn't it? What's God up to in the world and how can we be a part of it? That's the question we ought to be asking. What is God up to and how can I be a part of it? And every one of us is going to have different perspectives on what that is. Rightly so. Because God has put every single person in this room into a mission field of their own. And yours will look different from mine. Yours will look different even from your spouse's. Because God is putting every single one of you in different places. And he's wanting you to open your eyes and open your heart and open your mind to what Jesus is doing as he stands at the right hand of God and looks into your context and says, what can we do to reach these people around Steve? What can we do to reach these people that are around Norman? What can we do to reach these people that are around Sharon? And that's not somebody else that he's planning on putting in there to do that. He's waiting for you to say, as Isaiah did in Isaiah 6, Well, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do about it? What can I do to join what you wanted to do in this circle that you put me in? Look at what God's agenda is. Don't set your mind just on earthly things. Don't get distracted by all the, 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 the things that came from the same factory as that VW, right? Don't, don't get distracted by all that when you're, when you're out and around in your community. See the people. I've said this, it's been a long time since I've said this, but I'll challenge you to it again. Go to a hospital, go to a pharmacy, and just spend five minutes watching and praying for the people you see. You don't even have to talk to anybody except Jesus. It will give you a different perspective. Some of you are going to be wearing a mask and doing this the whole time, I can tell. You're like, I I don't know about that. Listen, I don't touch the magazines in those offices at all. At all. There was one the other day said biblical archaeology and I was tempted, but I did not do it. I said, I can find that thing online, I ain't touching that thing. So but but go and pray for people and watch and see. Don't be weird, don't be a stalker, but just notice what the kind of thing that Jesus would notice. Because Jesus did this all the time. All the time. He noticed people that weren't gonna be noticed. Zacchaeus up in a tree, right? And he looked, and he saw, and he changed that guy's life. Maybe there's somebody like that for you. Somebody nobody else is noticing. We all had those people in our lives, and we may be the people who aren't noticing them. Guilty, right? (laughs) We've been there, done that. Look around. See what God may be trying to get done through His agenda in your life. that only happens when we start to say, you know what, I'm not going to only think about the things I think about. I'm going to think about the things that God is focused on. Set your minds, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Three, be loyal to the King. Let's read this passage again. This is down verse 3, but I'm going to start in 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Four, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden. This speaks to both our loyalties and it speaks back to the first thing of our perspective. If my life is in Jesus, my life isn't the same as when it was just mine, is it? It takes on everything differently. It views everything differently. And my loyalties change. What I say yes to changes. Because I'm going to run it through that filter of, what does this mean to Jesus? What does this mean to God you know how I ask this question for myself a lot of times who wins some of you are really into sports and competition and everything else so that might speak to the way you view things too who wins if I make this choice who does that seem like it's going to please or help win God or Satan does this seem like something that would further God's agenda or Satan's agenda we remember our loyalties those questions become very easy to answer but also much simpler to decide what do i do about this because you it will change even just single conversations when you let god challenge you like that who wins in this conversation if you say that challenge yourself who wins if i get mad about this who wins if i bear a grudge about that who wins if i push about this Who wins? You will start to see. I tell you, it's eye opening. You will start to see both how much God is at work, but you will also start to see how much Satan is active in trying to get your focus off on the wrong things. Remember, your loyalty is to the kingdom of God and to Jesus Himself. Start making choices that way. Does this please Jesus? Does this seem like something that would make Him say, "You know what? I'm proud of you. That was the right decision to make." Isn't that what we're working toward? Isn't our end game? All about hearing that well done, good and faithful servant come and enter into your master's happiness? Doesn't that reward begin with loyalty and choices here and now? God choices. We don't need to just make good choices. Sometimes good is the, the enemy of right. We need to make God choices. Who wins? Who's glorified? Who's pleased if I choose this or this? I'll tell you, it would sure change a lot of the big decisions that we see out in our community, in our society at large, in the church at large sometimes, wouldn't it? But all that stuff starts right here. It starts with our individual choices. A lot of those big society decisions would never have been made if more of us had said, you know, I don't think God wins with that choice. I don't think the kingdom's furthered by that choice, and I'm not going to have a part in it. But too often, we just fold, don't we? Lent noodles way too often. We need to be loyal to our king. And as we are, we need to do exactly that. We need to remember our end game. What are we working toward? And it's not just heaven, although Paul uses that as part of their motivation, doesn't he? But our our eternal life and the excitement that's going to be there is all about what's happened here. What's been going on down here first? Why will we be able to shout praises to God? It'll be because we saw that these things were right, that when we put our focus on what God was focusing on, we started to serve people, love people, and save people a whole lot more. We started bringing other people into the kingdom. And now we got more people to celebrate with because our focus was in the right place and we started making more decisions based on what what really furthers and advances our, our kingdom's purpose. What saves more people? What brings God glory? What actually help us to be people with stronger families? Faith-filled and faith-founded families. What really got us there? That's why it's going to be such a big celebration, isn't it? It won't just be because, oh, good, finally, no more diseases. That's going to be a good one. That's pretty high up there. No more aches and pains is pretty good. 72 degrees and not having to call the air conditioner guy. That's going to be pretty awesome, right? It is going to be 72 degrees. Y'all just going to have to get used to it. It's going to be wonderful. But, but the Lord will have fixed your thermostat. That's what's going to happen. But isn't that all going to be better really because of what happened here first? Because we will be able to sing praises, not because they were in the songbook, but because we know why we need to praise Him, because we experienced it in our life first. We'll be able to sing praises to Lamb and say thank you, not because of a line on a screen, but because it's written on our hearts because of all the things we've actually seen Him do because we trust Him in this. We knew where we were headed and we knew that trusting His perspective, taking His focus, and really letting His loyalty be our guide for our choices would get us there with more people to celebrate with, with a greater understanding of why it is so good. Let's read this promise one more time. With the wording that he gives it and the Spirit gives it. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear, you also will appear with him in glory. I think we have the perspective a lot of times that we are going to appear before him, before like in front of Jesus, as he is there to judge us. But the big New Testament picture of the resurrection is everyone is going to rise. Some to judgment and some to glory. That's a quote. You get to go find it. There's your homework. Some to judgment and some to glory. If we're faithful in these things, which are we? To glory. And he doesn't say that we will appear before him. He doesn't say that we will appear groveling. How does he say we appear? It's it's not unimportant. He says you will appear with him. The image is not us having a a procession up to Jesus saying, Lord, I hope you accept me. I hope I did good enough. The image is Jesus bringing us up to the Father and saying, God, they made it. Everyone that I had for you is here. He says, John 17, I hadn't lost a one yet. He doesn't plan on losing you. Here they are. We're home. Is that a different picture? That's a different picture. But that's the picture Paul paints. You will appear with Jesus in glory. Don't lose sight of that. It's what makes all those other things so important. Well, why do I have to change the way I think? Don't look at it that way. Look at it as, how can God help me to see the glory of what He would have done here so we can share the glory with Him there? we actually get to walk up with Jesus, winners. Who wins? We get to walk up with Jesus, winners, the victorious, the saved, the redeemed, as we sang earlier, with Him in glory. If you want to walk with Jesus, if you're looking forward to that day and you say, I'm going to make sure that's going to happen, one of the ways we get there is we give our lives to Christ in faith. We surrender, and it's a surrender. We surrender our lives to Christ in baptism. We are buried with Him. Romans 6, 3 and 4. We are buried with Him. We join in His death. And then we join in His resurrection. Which is God's way of saying, He wins. And with Him you win. We are raised with Christ to walk in a whole new life with a new perspective, a new focus, and a new kingdom loyalty. So that our end game is completely changed. And glory with Christ is our reward.